Welcome to episode number 29 of the Advanced Training Podcast. This is a special episode because we're going to be talking about the second annual Thanksgiving Tough Man Challenge. Now to me, this is way deeper than just the gory details of people pushing a prowler or how they moved a sled. To me, this was a real special day because we had 27 different guys show up from the ages of 14 to 54 all on a very cold fall morning at Owl Howell Park when they could have been doing something else. Now look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of speak out of both sides of my mouth here because we weren't the only ones there. The park was filled with people. But everyone else there was playing some form of two-hand touch or flag football. And look, it's, 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 a, it's a tradition in America you, know, you play football on Thanksgiving, but I, I've always, as a guy who's endured football, and I, I say that, Literally, you know, you you play football, but it is a game of attrition. Everybody wants to be a football player. You could see it by the amount of people that were playing football on Thanksgiving at that park. But not everybody wants to go to football camp. Not everybody wants to hit somebody in the mouth. Not everybody wants to go wake up uh, at 5 a.m. in January to lift weights for a couple of Saturdays that you're going to have over the course of a year. It's easy to go out there on Thanksgiving morning and play this little game of two-hand touch, but you're not puking up. You're not puking because of it. You know, you kind of have fun. You do whatever you do, and maybe some guys are a little more competitive than others. But the guys that came to our event, this Tough Man event, they knew what they were getting themselves into. At least I thought they did. They knew that this is a pretty grueling event. I think we had five or six guys puke there. I had a couple more guys puke when they got home. At least they texted me and told me that. And I'm not saying, that's why I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, I'm not saying that that makes a good workout. I'm just saying it says a lot about the guys that got up to do this. And why would they do this? Why would you come and waste your Thanksgiving morning and make yourself sick and possibly ruin the rest of your day? Well, for me... The guys that were there, to a man, were all hyper-competitive. We need a competitive outlet. And it, it's not like we can go strap it on and play that great game of football that I also said was a game of attri- attrition and I endured. Because, and again, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth, so, so bear with me here. As a, as a football coach, I know that in many instances we are our own worst enemies. We make practice so hard, game, uh, you know, camp so hard, we make things so difficult that, yeah, there's some pretty good athletes out there that just don't want to go through it, and they'll take the easy way out. And I know nothing great comes without hard work, but to me, we make it rough, but it's also a badge of honor that you got to get through. And these guys need an outlet to do that, and they can't, myself included, and it's really hard to find another way to get camaraderie or even contact, you know, hitting that that prowler is, is pretty it's pretty close to hitting a football player because you're, you're not getting hit back, but you're, you're striking something. Or sometimes when we throw a medicine ball and you catch it, you know, the reason we do it is to kind of mimic the impact that you're going to have on a field. So for these guys, this isn't just about lifting weights in the gym. This is really being about outside working with your brothers because this was a tag team event. This was not a, a one-on-one duel. And I think this is a way for these guys to keep that competitive spirit alive in a way that they're not going to get arrested for beating somebody up or uh, possibly end up with some sort of a, a massive injury because you know they're much older than they used to be and they've fallen out of their prime. Although most of these guys are actually in the prime of their lives right now, especially from what I saw on the, in this competition. So Again, this was more than just about a competition. And afterwards, a lot of guys 
you know, when we got there, one of the first things that Billy Blanco said was, you know, what's the most important thing that we were all able to come together. And that's awesome because these are guys that have played with each other or trained with each other or played against each other. We had guys, we had, I'll talk about this, uh, we had guys that, we had legends show up. So we had Coach Manos, a legendary coach from Staten Island. His personality alone is legendary, not to mention what he did with a high school football program, St. Joseph by the Sea, and having them compete at the highest level for 10 years. Then we also had Coach Munson show up, a guy that a lot of these guys competed against, so they played against him. Another legend on Staten Island, you know, won a city championship, had, had an extremely successful career at Tottenville High School. So these guys, not only did they show up, they competed, and they competed on a team with their sons, which is sick. You know, it's, it's awesome to see a father-son duel duels going on, but on the same team against everybody else. So uh, the other beautiful thing that I'll bring up aside from the, yeah, we're just, it's great to come together. It's also great to see these guys, you know, now, now these, these, they used to be kids that I coached. Now they're men still acting like kids around the guys that coach them. You know, as a football coach, and my wife will laugh because I call everybody coach, but you earn that title. There, there's no easy game where you're sitting down and doing nothing, uh, chewing on sunflower seeds. There's no easy practice where you get to sit down and drink a, a cup of coffee. Like You just don't see that. If you do see that, then I'm sorry you're not a real coach in the football world. So these guys earn that title coach for everything they do on and off the field. And these kids who are now men, they still act like little boys, you know, in terms of like, I'm looking up to this guy. I got to step my game up for this guy. And it's a beautiful thing. That's why I told Coach Manos afterwards that you come into this meant more to these guys than you'd ever imagine, more to me than you'd ever imagine. And it, it really helped people step up and compete. And a coach never stops coaching. And uh, even if you're a grown man and you see your coach, you still want to compete for that guy that pushed you to a different level. The next thing that I'll say is that with all, the, with all these guys coming in, what was great was that they weren't fighting against each other. Or, you know, we had, the way this thing worked out, we had five separate teams. These five separate teams were all competing to get the best time in this, I'll say, uh, this glorious obstacle course that we have. But they were never rooting against each other. Everybody was pushing for each other to succeed. And guys got tired. And I'm sure guys wanted to quit. But they got in each other's heads to an extent that it wouldn't happen. It would not happen. Guys couldn't quit because of people getting in each other's heads. And, we, and people made some stupid mistakes, which I'm going to get into in a minute. But we pushed each other. They pushed each other to another level. The last thing I'm going to cover before I get into some more of the details of this thing was that I had gotten a lot of texts or even people there saying, hey, th thank you for setting this up. And I'm like, I did nothing. You know, all, all I have is uh, some toys, and I, I put something out there on Instagram and on, on a couple of emails saying, hey, let's get together, let's do this, let's try and make this a tradition. But people are saying, thank you for getting this together because th we really are looking for an opportunity to have this outlet. Where else would it exist? You know, where else can you get a group of like-minded people to get up and do something in a way that makes everybody better and nobody bashes each other in this effort to become a better human being? Or, and I'm saying that from a, even just a competition standpoint, because that competition, when you compete, when that iron sharpens iron, you are taking yourself way past the boundaries of what you should be doing. And this call went out, this call went out, I'd say there's probably 100 people we made this call to, and 27 showed up. There were people that I hope are listening to this, or, you know, people that thought they were not in shape enough to come back, or they were a little intimidated. Get back, man. Get back. What else would you rather be doing? I know you got family obligations. Uh, so We all do. We got in and out of there. A little bit in and out of there. We got, we, you know, we, got, we did it early enough so people didn't ruin their Thanksgivings, but, uh, 
just come back. Come back and do this because you're not going to you're not gonna be able to do this for the rest of your life. You're not going to be out here at uh, 50 years old unless you're the great Coach Munson who, re, who ages in reverse. Uh, but people aren't going to be able to do this and, and compete in this way forever. So do it while you can and while you got your brothers around you that you competed with at another level. All right. So, let me get into some of the details of the way this thing looked. I am not going to recap every gory second of this. I'm, I'm going to hit on the format. I'm going to hit on some really cool items that I saw happen. And then uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. So, the first thing. How did this thing work? Well, we took our regular Tough Man event, which we do every year, which starts with a 15-yard slider. It then goes into a Farmer's Walk, which is 15 yards. And then it goes to a Prowler Push. And we, uh, we changed it up a little bit. Instead of doing like a, a 15 yards there, a 15 yards back, and a 15 yards there, we just uh, amplified it. It was a lot of there and backs. I'll leave it at that. We added more repetitions to that Prowler shuttle so that we can get more people involved in this event. Then after those, a lot of there and backs with the Prowler, you'd go, you'd sit on the bucket, you'd, and you'd pull this sled into your feet. And then after you put in, pulling the sled into your feet, you'd go onto sliders and do uh, sliders 15 yards. If you've heard this before, if you listen to this podcast, uh, if you haven't listened to it before, go watch one of our YouTube videos. But this is the actual Tough Man format. What we did, though, is that our goal was to have teams of six, and we'd make it a tag team event so that no person had to do the entire event by themselves. The reason we did this is, first off, I really don't want to ruin anyone's Thanksgiving and have them completely sick the whole day. Secondly, I don't really know what some of these guys have been doing. Right now, the circle of guys we train is somewhere between 8 and 10, but I have no idea what the other 17 guys have been doing. I don't know if they're ready to do this. I wanted to get as many guys back as possible. So you make it a little easier so it's a tag team event, and then uh, people don't have to do this whole thing by themselves. And again, I'm going back to football being a war of attrition. You know, Think about if coaches made practice a little easier or camp a little easier it may get guys back into doing something that they just didn't want to do it may backfire on you too maybe you only get soft guys but there's potential that you get the right guys back that want to participate in this thing so having said that i think it contributed because some guys were on the fence i'm out of shape i'm not ready to do it look it's a tag team event you can do it and uh it got more guys back and it built up more camaraderie so what we had we had five teams what we were going to do is have each team do that entire round together. So each team does the round, what I just explained, and they, every person on that team has to go. So let's just say that there are five teams, all five, team goes, all five teams go, and all 27 people have to go. You know, Basically, depending on how many people are on your team, you go. Uh, and what we did was we said whoever had the highest time, so that would be the worst time in a round, you lose. If you, it's, and we made it double elimination. So if you lose twice, then you are eliminated. And our goal originally was to continue to do this for every uh, team that we had there. And it actually started out as triple elimination. And then uh, doing some uh, easy math, I realized that we wouldn't get gotten home till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I don't know if people would have physically been able to go through 14 rounds of this tough man. And uh, so <laughs> we ended up making it double elimination. So I'll, I'll talk you through some of this. We had five teams. Team number one was a team that had all graduated in 2009. Team number two was a team that had predominantly graduated in 2013. And team 2009, they had six guys. Uh, smart group. These guys have done this before. They've had a really successful high school career. And they're, they're super competitive. Team 2013, uh, hyper competitive to the point that they didn't want more than four guys. We tried to get them more, more than four guys, and they didn't want more than four guys. 
This is critical to the story. Uh, we'll cover it later on, but it's just a criti critical part of the story. They refused to get more than four guys. They did not want any, as, as Joe Sarno would say, dead weight on the team. Now, he had four absolute dudes on his team, I will say that, but uh, having six guys kind of helps. All right, team number three, team 2014. Young Bucks, that was the youngest group that we had there as a group. They had six guys. All came prepared, ready to go. These are guys who had also competed in tough mans. Uh, these guys who have guys who have trained with me, guys that I coached. They were a close-knit group. Uh, most of them hang out with each other to this day. So a very strong group, but a group that people did not think were going to be uh, the winners. People had their eyes. We did a preseason poll. People had Team 2009 and 2013 as the number one and number two slot. The fourth team was the team I was on, which was a team of misfits. And that was a team where it was just a bunch of guys who had who wanted to train, but we weren't in the same grade or the same age or the same anything. It was kind of just we slapped us all together, uh, and we were that group. And then Team 5 was what I call the Legends, and this is where we had Coach Manos, Coach Munson, Coach Munson, and their sons, which is a pretty sick team. Coach Munson's son, college athlete, dude of a football player, went to Navy, and uh, Coach Manos' son, dude of an athlete, I didn't know this, but he's only a sophomore in high school, so uh, maybe the youngest guy ever to compete in a tough man advanced training ever. I didn't realize this, but these guys really hung in. Now, they also only had four guys. They had an excuse. They signed up the, the week before, and Coach Manos was actively recruiting people, but he couldn't get a fifth guy or a sixth guy. So why am I harping on this four guys versus six guys? Well, the, the reason it's this makes it extremely hard is that you don't get a break during this tough man. I don't make it easier if you have less guys. This is designed for six people. If you got five people, well, you have to cover for the sixth man not being there. If you have four people, you have to cover for the fifth and sixth man not being there. I thought about this so much that I even wrote it up in the rules two weeks ahead of time. Like, if you only have five guys, this is going to happen. If you only have six guys, I'm sorry, if you only have four guys, this is going to happen. And basically, the this is going to happen stuff is where people would have to add extra work inside of this total tough man. So the way it worked was, you know, the first guy does a slider. He runs over and tags the second guy who does a farmer's walk to a one high handle prowler push. So that, that, that second guy tags the next guy, and then he does a there and back on the prowler. That'll be three people so far. Then he tags the next guy, and he does a there and back on the prowler. That's four people so far. Then he tags the next guy, and he does it there and back on the prowler. That's five people so far. Then that fifth guy runs and tags the last guy who sits on the bucket, bucket pulls the sled into his feet, and then he does, does a slider. It's designed for six people. If you have five people, <clears throat> it's not like we're going to say do less reps on the prowler. It's not fair. We want this whole thing to be the same for everybody. So now if you, if you miss a guy, if you're missing a guy, the first person would have to go from the first slider they did and then run over and sit on that bucket and wait. Sounds like not a big deal in round one, but when you get to round six, you start to get tired. If you got four guys, now you have to compensate in other ways. So guys have to pick up extra lengths on the prowler. So this is where it gets hairy. Now, why did I do it this way? Because the world doesn't care, right? The world does. I, I would say, in my mind, I was thinking this thing's designed. We wanted an equal platform, and really, it puts pressure on your brothers to show up. If you say you're going to show up, show up. The glorious thing, and Pete Amorosi mentioned this, was that all 27 guys that said they were coming came. All 27 guys that said they were coming showed up that day. We had one guy the day before tell us he wasn't going to come. There was no one that was supposed to come and was a no-show. We had guys come in weird situations. One of them, Nixon and Dinos, came. The guy works in a, a power plant in, I think it's Queens or Long Island. 
he he drove after his 12-hour night shift and came right from work to come be a part of this thing. So uh, Coach Manos came from New Jersey. Teddy Colhesi came from New Jersey. Guys are coming from all over the place. Everybody showed up. So that was a big reason to, to get this six-man team. Also, you think about the, the four-man team. And if you had a four-man team, you were in trouble. Because another another good part of this is that it's easier and quicker to tag a teammate than it is to actually do this whole thing by yourself. Well, why is that the case? Well, think about, like, just take one example of the bucket. Is it easier to run up to a bucket and tag somebody who's already got the chain in their hand and they can pull it, the sled into their feet? Or is it easier to run over to the bucket, pick up the chain, and start it? Right? Even if there is dead wood, there is an easier process. Or think about if you're tagging somebody on the prowler. Right? I, I don't have to make the turn and get put my hands back on the on the, sl- the sled handles and push it. Nope, I'm there. Life is good. Or you know, the same thing on the farmer's walk. I could slide into it, tag somebody that they already have the farmer's walk in their hand, and they go. So it was easier to have six people than it was to have four people. Not only for the quickness in a round but also for the attrition that was going to happen over the rounds that we had. The other thing was that it was also easier to have a little something called cleats. So, I told you these guys knew what they were getting themselves into, or I thought they did. We had multiple guys, one on my team, I won't mention his name, not bring cleats to the event. Now, you could kind of get away with it on things like a farmer's walk, but when you're pushing a prowler and the ground is as dry as a desert, You need cleats. You need something to dig your foot into the ground to so you can push back on the ground and every action equals a, equals an, uh, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. As you push back on the ground, it should push the prowler forward, but you can't do it if you can't dig your foot into the ground. So, guys did not show up with cleats, so if you didn't have cleats, uh, you were probably going to lose. If you didn't have six guys, you were probably going to lose. So, these are all critical elements of the things that happened this day. All right, so now that I've talked you through this, I'm just going to go through the rounds. What happened? I'm not going to go to gory detail, but I just want to highlight who came in first, who came in last. So, round one, the, teams that, the team that comes in first is Team 2009. They went first of the overall event. They get 1 minute and 40 seconds, and they absolutely killed it. They set the tone. They beat everybody by 3 seconds. The team that comes in last is the Legends. They come in with 2 minutes and 38 seconds. You know, to be fair, this, these guys have never seen this. They've never done it. They might have saw a couple of YouTube videos. They're kind of testing out the waters to see what it's like. And they only have four guys. One of them's 14, and I'm pretty sure one of them didn't have cleats trying to push this Prowler. I should also mention that the Prowler weight was supposed to be 200 pounds of weight on the Prowler. You know, you have all these great plans, and I I told you how methodical I was in planning this thing out, even putting in rules ahead of time to to allocate for for guys not coming, right? Put that all in. So my plan is we're going to do 200 uh, pounds on the Prowler. We're going to make it tough, and we get there, and I, I just do like a little sample movement before we go, and it won't move. And I'm I'm not the the weakest of dudes. I'm a pretty good uh, bar- I could be a good barometer of how hard something's gonna be just based on my experience doing this. So I take 20 pounds off. Go to 180. Nope, still too hard. Go to 160. Too hard. 140. Too hard. 120. Okay, it's about right. And when I say too hard, I don't mean I couldn't move it. I mean, I'm worried about guys going there and back with this thing and somebody blowing out their Achilles tendon on Thanksgiving morning because they can't push this thing because it's so hard to move. So I don't care if I hear or say or see or see somebody do bigger weight than us on this prowler. To me, it's always about the ground you're doing it on. 
and it felt like death, especially as we got into the later rounds. The ground was getting a little more dry. You know, that morning dew goes away, and you guys are fatigued. No good. So that was round one. So now Team, team Legends, they got their first loss. Remember, it's double elimination. What do we do? So we go to the second round. The way we worked this was, you know, we went in a certain order. It was like Team 1, Team 2, Team 3, Team 4, Team 5. In the second round, now Team 2 goes first, and Team 3, Team 4, Team 5, and Team 1. So there's an element to this too, right? So now we put Team 1 on a massive break. They went first in round 1. Now they go last in round 2. But Team 1 wins again. 1 minute, 42 seconds. They come in first place. They beat everybody by seven seconds. It's like, like the closest team to them is Team 2013, who's only operating with four guys, so I tip my hat to them, and they beat them by seven seconds. The team that comes in last is Team 5, the Legends. Now these guys are smoked. You know, remember what I said? There's four of them, so they don't have cleats. They, they, you know, they're just feeling this thing out for the first time. They're smoked from round one. They have less of a break. They, they hit it in three minutes and 15 seconds, so now they're eliminated. So we're going into round three, and we have a team eliminated already. It's the Legends. And also, we have a person eliminated. So John Goldman gets uh, a little injured. I think it was in round one he gets injured. Luckily for the, that Team 2013, Nick Sinandinos comes off of work. He's like uh, calling in a relief pitcher. They call him in. On, luckily, for uh, Team 2013, Nick Sinandinos also did not bring cleats. So now they're operating with four guys with one dude who doesn't have cleats, which is complete and total insanity. But they do have a bunch of beasts on that team. So they didn't come in dead last. So we go to round three. We go to round three, <coughs> and who wins it? But now this team, 2013. So what they did, they were they were kind of smart. They kept this Nixon and Dinos away from in his first trial uh, or second trial away from something that would require require cleats. So he can you know do the sliders and the farmer's walk and life is good. Maybe a sled pull. So they win round three with one minutes and forty six seconds. And the team that had been winning had got one. The team 2009 got one minute forty nine seconds. So they beat them by three seconds. And the team that lost was my team. Two minutes and ten seconds. Pretty awful time. Like, we were getting worse and worse each time. And I think it was because these guys were starting to get winded from the, the repetitions before. And also, uh, we had a guy without cleats. So he's just going to keep going slower and slower because this is not easy. And that guy also did throw up. And he's a veteran. And I will say his name. Steve Armato. What are you doing? You're on the first ever advanced training video. You're on the first ever advanced training podcast. You know this stuff. I hope you just forgot your cleats outside your car on that day and just didn't think you needed cleats. Unacceptable. I love you, though. Let's go. So, now we have one loss. Now we go to round four. Guess who loses again? Us, with an equally horrible time of 2 minutes and 13 seconds. Now, who wins round four? All of a sudden, Team 2014 decides to show up. That's right, I said it. Team 2014 decides to show up. So, in round one, they come in a second. Round two, they come in third. Round three, they come in third. And then in round four, they win it. Like, where, where did this come from? I have absolutely no idea. It seems like they, uh, they had to get the cobwebs out, even though they're the young guys. So there was a rumor they had a, a late night, apparently. So maybe the, uh, the, that late night was wearing off as time was growing. So <laughs> they end up winning round three. But also what, what happens now, in, in, I'm sorry, round four. And also what's happening in round four is that Nick Sinandinos, who came in as the relief pitcher for Team 2013, had a leave. So now T Team 2013 is operating with uh, four guys, and the other guy has to leave, Joe Sarno. 
he has to go to football practice. Now, he has a very legitimate reason. Guy's a high school football coach on a very successful high school football team. They're going for the city championship. They had practice, and uh, this thing was taking longer than we thought, and he had to go. So he had to go. So now this team has three guys. Well, they actually have two guys because John Goldman's hurt. But Goldman steps up big time and says he's going to power through this thing. So now they're operating this event that is built for six people with three guys. And the Purple Heart Award is going to Nick King and Brandon Spears because they picked up insane lengths of the Prowler because Goldman's leg was injured, so he couldn't do the Prowler. So he was going to do the farmer's walk type slider stuff, and he was going to do the sled pull slider end. He's, he was starting at any of the event, but now Spears and King, they had to do all seven lengths of the Prowler. So they didn't do this not only in the, they didn't do this just for one round. They did it in round four, and then they did it again in round five. So they do it in round five. They come in a dead last. So now we're in round five. Our team's already eliminated. We lost round three and round four, Team Misfits. So in round five, they come in last two minutes, 14 seconds, because these guys are worn out from round four. In round four, they actually had a pretty good running, you know, but in round five, they're shot, and I tip my hat to them. So, you know, we had this double elimination thing, but now we're getting into round six, and it's getting a little later, and we say, look, we, we can't do this. We cannot have these guys do this again. I don't want them to end up in a, a hospital, so we uh, disqualify them kind of just had mercy on them. So now we get into round six, and everybody's out of this thing, except for Team 2009 and Team 2014. Team 2009 has won rounds one and round two, and Team 2014 has round won round four, and in round five, they hit one minute and 40 seconds. So these guys are basically getting better every round, which is complete and total insanity. So we, we get the whole crew together. Guys, listen, it's supposed to be double elimination, uh, we just had to, you know, basically have mercy on team number, team 2013, and get them out of there. So now we have two teams left. How do you want to handle this? Do you want to do best of three, or do you want to do winner takes all head to head? I let them vote. Now look, planning is useless, but the act of planning is priceless. So what the heck does that mean? It means that I had this glorious plan. I had every T crossed and every I dotted. I had every weight perfectly laid out in my house. I put it in my car perfectly. Had this whole thing drawn up. I come up with a grease board with 14 rounds ready to go. The order of which each team's going. Teams named. You know Everything put up on the internet. Who, what team's going on. But uh, it, it was all useless. I shouldn't say useless. It was all broken apart by the, the, what happened that day. So the planning was useless, but the act of planning was, was priceless because it did give us a framework on how to move forward. And it also gave us the ability to adjust more quickly because, as uh, Jocko Willing says, discipline is freedom. Because we had the discipline to lay this out, it gave us the freedom to adjust as we needed to. So we get the teams together, and uh, Billy Blanco says he has a great idea. He says, look, let's go. <clears throat> Winner takes all, but... We get to choose who goes where in what event. So one thing I didn't mention before was that for each event, as we went to a different round, you had to rotate. There were no exceptions. You had to rotate. If you started on this drill, you had to go to that drill. If you started on that drill, you have to go to the next drill. Uh, <clears throat> there was a time where Joe, and I, Joe Sarno had a heated argument because he did not want to rotate because they had so few guys and Sinodinos didn't have cleats, but I didn't care. The only time I made that exception was when that group had three guys and uh, Goldman got the other Purple Heart Award for coming back injured. He just couldn't do the other stuff, but that was the only time I made the exception. So I said, you know what? This is, this is cool. Hey, uh, Team 2014, do you agree? They said yes. I said, okay, now here comes the next awful question. Who goes first? 
Because if you think about this, we've already gone through five rounds. It's windy as all hell. Uh, this thing's brutal. We have guys puking. And Team 2014 just went last in the last round five. So they want a break. They said, let them go because we just went. It's not fair. And then Team 2009 said, no. <laughs> Let's not do that. So how do we settle this? How do you settle it? I said, does anybody have a coin? Do the good old coin toss. Of course not. It's uh, 2019. Who was walking around changing their pockets at a tough man competition? So one guy said, uh, I'll put my fingers behind my back and let them guess the number, which nobody's going to believe that. Crazy suggestion. So we did what any other group of meatheads would ever do. We took a plate and we did a plate toss. <laughs> so uh, I brought a captain in from each team. We made head the size of a five pound, the side of a five pound plate that actually had the wording on it, you know, that says like five pounds or uh, whatever many kilograms. And we said, you pick heads or tails to the team, to team 2014. They, uh, they picked heads. It came up tails. We let the other group uh, decide to take the ball or defer to the second half. And what they did, they said, uh, you know what? Let number – that's a football terminology for those of you that don't pay attention to football too much. But they, they uh, wisely said, let the other group go first. So Team 2014, who just went in round five, they go first, and they hit one minute. 40 seconds, 0.95. Yeah, 1 minute, 40 seconds, 0.95. They had a very good a very good transition. The, they, I'll say two things that are questionable that I was getting a lot of heat about last night. One, the fir their first guy, Joe Ruskowski, did sliders. If you watch the film, which I'm going to do my best to post sometime today, it doesn't look like he goes full body through the line. He, he kind of, if you watch it in slow motion, he kind of coils up like a, I don't know what it is like, <laughs> maybe a spider, like Spider-Man. He does get his feet through the line, he coils up his body afterwards, and then he immediately cuts left and runs right down the 50-yard mark, which is where his drill was. So he does, his body is fully through. The only thing is that he's not, when he's doing a traditional slider, he's not going where his head is crossing the line with his hands on the ground. His feet cross the ground, he coils up, makes a perfect L move with his legs, and shoots right over to the farmer's walk. So guys from 2009 were, were thinking that there might be an asterisk next to that victory, but he really did go full body through just in a non-conventional way. The other thing that was slightly interesting, and the only other hiccup that they had, was uh, Bobby Albarino had the last leg of the prowler. And he knew he was the last leg. That means when he's done, his job is to run over and tag the guy who's about to do the, uh, the sled pull. For whatever reason, he like runs at Billy Blanco, who's not on his team as if to tag his hand to do a, a fourth leg of the Prowler, and it did cut off about a second of the time. So Alberino's running to no one, and then he has to make a quick right over to the sliders. So he's basically running like a, a down and out to the, I'm sorry, to the, to the sled pull. He has to do a down and out to the sled pull where he has to tag uh, Nick Carroll. So that was one slip-up. The other thing I thought was highly entertaining, uh, you have to watch the film a couple times to see it, is uh, the way this thing worked is you started with the low handles on the Prowler first and then came back with the high handles. And if you guys know the Prowler, each guy, if you have six guys on your team, which both these teams did, each guy do, does one length. Low handle, back on high handle. Low handle, back on high handle. Each guy does one length of it. And uh, Carpentieri, uh, it's his turn to go, so someone's pushing the high handles at him, meaning the low handles are toward him. And for whatever reason... When he accepts the Prowler and is tagged, he decides he looks like he's about to go over the entire top of the Prowler and grab the high handles. And then at the very last second, he grabs the low handles, which are right by his shins. If you don't know what a prow our Prowler looks like, it's like that uh, Akano sled. It has two high handles on one side, 
and a low handle on the other side. The high handle is infinitely easier than the low handle, except if you're on the other side of the prowler, it makes it very hard to reach over this thing and push it, so I don't know what he was thinking. Actually, uh, two years ago, he's all, he was also uh, credited with destroying the prowler. I think he lifted it entirely off the ground because he's a complete and total beast slash psycho. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was sick when I watched the film. Anyway, so they finish in 1 minute 40 seconds, 0.95. So that that's that might that's actually the second uh best time of the day. Only beaten by team 2009 in round 1 with a 1 minute 40 second 0.38. I should also mention that in the round before this where they were fatigued and went right before this uh team 2014 got it 1 minute and 40 seconds 0.99. So they beat their last time with no break by 0.04 seconds. Now, I know that James Uske is saying uh, Coach Mahoney has slow fingers, but I have great fingers, and I'm, maybe I'm not accurate, but I am consistent at when I push that button. I am consistent at when I push that button. And if you don't think it's fair, go get another judge. All right, so now it comes up to the last round, a round that will live in infamy. The team is debating for a while where they want to put their, their dudes, and I think they did a really good job of putting the right people in the right spot. It, it is kind of strategic. So they start off with Pete Amorosi, who's an expert at sliders. He slider, he just starts with the sliders, and he goes over to Mike Morano, who, you, you heard him on this podcast, he's a freak of a human being. And what I like about Mike Morano is he didn't make the mistake that a lot of mistake teams made. Specifically, my team. My team made a lot of horrible mistakes, and this is probably why I should not be competing in this tough man, because uh, I am so focused on running the operation that I did literally nothing to help coach up my team on what the right way to do things. But, so, so, <laughs> Amorosi sliders through, and he's supposed to go and tag Morano, who is holding the farmer's walk. Now, what other teams did stupidly, specifically, specifically my team, is they waited until they were tagged to pick up the farmer's walk. That's precious seconds lost. But Morano... He was holding the farmer's walk from the instant that Amorosi started. That means, like, for a good 10 seconds, he's holding this farmer's walk in one hand before Amorosi can even get to him. Now, why is this important? Well, one, he's a beast. Two, there were many people in this competition that were unable to hold it in one hand. Mike was. I mean, but the fact that he held it for an extra 10 seconds just made it even harder on himself. So he brings this thing down. <clears throat> he's carrying it pretty effectively, except he drops the farmer's walk about... I don't know. I'll say a yard ahead of the line. He has to run back, pick it back up, put it back over the line, and then he tries to hop over the farmer's walk to get to the prowler, and then he kind of trips over the farmer's walk. He does make up sick time. I guess his anger pushes him to kill this thing. He kills the prowler, and now they make up some time. And now they go back and forth with their guys. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to make up this time that they lost. They're going back and forth, killing the Prowler. And they get to the, the infamous Teddy Colhesi. Tough man, God. The, the competitor that everybody in the world wants to beat. And where else would you rather be than have your dude as the guy at the last leg of this competition? And Teddy grabs that chain and he's yanking, he's yanking, he's yanking, he's yanking. He drops it. He's going so feverishly that he's dropping the chain. But it's crazily, he's hitting insane time. Even as he's dropping this chain, he's just by sheer will. This, this guy, I, I was going to call him a kid. He's got such grit and he's so competitive that he, he's making up for his bad form by just sheer strength and determination. And something I've always loved about this kid, I'm a big stickler on form, but sorry, this man now, is that he has such grit that he's just refusing to lose at this point. The other thing I should, I should mention before this is that the last leg of that event had the, the great Sean Mulligan. And what I really loved is not only did he kill what he did on the Prowler, 
but he sprinted. He finished his prowler, and he sprinted over to Teddy like his life depended on it. And and that, that that is an unsung thing that happens during these events. Everybody talks about the timing on the event, but the transition is critical. You can cut seconds off by moving from one event to the next. And Sean Mulligan, you know, a guy on Thanksgiving morning who's a you know a CrossFit legend, who is a you know a college football player. He doesn't need to be doing this stuff. He doesn't need to be diving on the floor and tagging somebody. And I saw a bunch of that all day. Guys diving, guys crawling, guys scratching, guys fighting to get to the next spot. And here's Sean Mulligan, round six, sprinting like Usain Bolt from the Prowler over to Teddy to tag him. So this is just insane effort. I mean, these guys are killing themselves to make up for that lost time. I know Morano's probably kicking himself, but I think him dropping that barbell brought these guys to a level that they probably wouldn't have had to to be at because they had to pick up for that lost time. So Teddy finishes the sled pull. He then gets to the, the sliders, and he's awesome at sliders. He's awesome at everything. But he loses a slider, and this is what happens. You get too into it. You go too fast. A slider peels out. He loses it. He has to finish on one leg. But does he slow down? No. All right, he's Teddy Gohez. He's not going to slow down. He's pushing, he's pushing, he's pushing. He's pushing, he's pushing, and pushing. He's neck and neck. They are neck and neck with this other team in terms of time. He crosses the line at 141.02. Remember, Team 2014 finished at 140.95. That is less than one-tenth of a second. That is less than one-tenth of a second. And I know James Uske is going to say, Coach, you have a slow finger. I do, but I have a consistently slow finger. So my timing was consistent. Now look, who knows if this stuff's perfect? Who knows if any of these rounds were perfect? I don't know. But I am the judge, the jury, and the executioner at all these things. And that is the way it is. So Team 2014, congratulations on your victory. Now, I'm sure there's an asterisk because of the, the ski potentially not crossing the line. I'm sure people are saying, well, what would have happened if Morano had not dropped that farmer's walk? They're saying, what would have happened if Sarno uh, didn't have to go to football practice and Goldman didn't get hurt? I don't know. It doesn't matter because this is what it is. Now, Team 2014, you have to know that you're dealing with a bunch of hyper-competitive human beings and they're, gonna, they're coming for you. They were coming for you last night. This, the 2020 has already started. I got nonstop text of guys ready, already starting to work out for next year. I had guys that didn't show up saying they're ready, they're making a comeback. So enjoy this victory while you can. I think Coach Manos had like a, a 24 or 48-hour rule where you're allowed to be happy about your victory for a couple of, couple of days and that's it. I don't even think you have that much time. I think you guys need to start working out like today, the, the day after. On Black Friday, you guys should not be shopping. You should be out there hitting up the Prowler and uh, making up for lost time because people are coming for you, and they're coming for you. So a couple of things I also want to note that were pretty insane. Aside from the no cleats and aside from, uh, you know, Goldman getting injured and coming back, which is sick, aside from Sins coming from work and then leaving because he's sick, which is sick, uh, I have to also mention that there were two really awesome things. Uh, one of them was Joe Trunzo, and I shouldn't say awesome, he was also on my team, he decided to do his Thanksgiving tradition of running something called Dallas before we went. And he was running it in a Randy Macho Man Savage shirt that I believe he won at an online auction. So here's one of our best guys. I'd say he's definitely one of the best guys, not one of our, he's our best guy. He's the best guy on our team. He was the be He's one of the best guys ever to do these challenges and tough men. So he's sick, 
but he's out there pre-fatiguing himself with something called Dallas, which I, I don't remember all the details, but I think it's like you run 1010s, 1020s, 1030s, 1040s, 1050s, 1060s. I think it goes all the way up to 100, and then you come back down. It was a conditioning drill that uh, one of his coaches had him do when he was uh, when he was in high school. All right, so he does it every Thanksgiving. And he does it, apparently, before our tough man on Thanksgiving, which is insane, but he didn't look too fatigued. I thought it was insane. I'd also say the uh, most miraculous thing of the entire day is uh, what happened after the tough man. If people know me, I have a very big truck. I uh, have issues parking my truck sometimes because something happened to me about five years ago where I am constantly questioning myself on how close I am to another car or not. Uh... Long story, I won't get into it, but I have like this fear of, of hitting another car. Having said that, someone parked immediately behind me. Someone parked immediately in front of me, leaving me mere inches to get not only get the toys into my car without hitting that person's car, but then to get out of there. So uh, the real MVP of the day was me for pulling out of that spot. Well, first of all, without hitting anyone else's car with the toys that we were putting in, because you're thinking about a prowler, a sled, weights. It didn't touch another person's car, and then to effectively pull out of there like Austin Powers. I don't know if you remember the scene. He's got like this little uh, cart, and he's making this K-turn. <laughs> he's stuck. That was me, but I got out of there safe and sound, and I did not ruin anybody else's Thanksgiving by uh, smashing their car with my toys or my truck. All right, people. I, I just love everything that happened yesterday. Love you guys that came. I love you for making it an awesome day. I'm glad that we have the ability to do it. We still have our health. Thank you guys for everything. And uh, until next time, I'm out.